Nelson. Hi, Jacob. Welcome to Wild and Free, a Battleborn podcast. Do you know who we have with us today? Who do Allison? we have, We Jacob? have Jocelyn Torres, who is the Senior Field Director for the Conservation Lands Foundation. Welcome, Jocelyn. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. We're very excited to have you here. Our our friend and creative director, B, has has been talking about you for some time now, and it's about time we got you on the, the podcast. So years. thank you for coming. Yes. <laughs> it's been 84 years. No, that's the wrong. Wrong. It's Titanic. Yeah, Sorry. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, um, Jocelyn, if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what is the Conservation Lands Foundation for our listeners, because that sounds like a mouthful. It is a mouthful. <laughs> so maybe we'll start with the job and then with me. Perfect. Um, so we used to be <laughs> the Conservation National Conservation Landscape System Foundation. Whoa. So I know. I know. <laughs> this was the rebranded, shortened version. Excellent. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the Conservation <laughs> Lands Foundation was created about a decade ago um, by Secretary of the Interior, Bruce Babbitt, and a couple other folks who you know, were in that level of conservation scale. Um, they had been working particularly with the Bureau of Land Management, which is the largest um, land manager in the United States, mm-hmm. right, federally, um, and figuring out what part of the land within their portfolio could really be set aside for conservation purposes. And so... Okay. Bruce Babbitt, um, along with President Clinton, had designated some things um, at the end of that administration and getting um, land designations for conservation purposes within the Bureau of Land Management's portfolio. I hope you're all still following along. Yes. Mm -hmm. Before, things used to be transferred to the Park Service or to Fish and Wildlife Service. And so Bureau of Land Management only had oil and gas or real estate type of portfolio. So this was a big change for this agency to finally have some sort of conservation mission Mm -hmm. um so they did that right on the political side through the president and then you know then we had president bush and things started falling apart all over Mm -hmm. the place and that's when these folks really got together and were like hey in order for these things to be sustainable and long term and for you know federal agencies to meet their conservation missions we really need communities on the ground who care about these places are connected to these places and, you know, have a stake in making sure that they are kept this way long term. Mm-hmm. And so and we got, you know, as the foundation got brought on together at the beginning of the Obama administration and really trying to bring all of these groups together. So there's a bunch of groups all over the country who are already doing this sort of on their volunteer time, formalizing those groups and creating what we call the Friends Grassroots Network. Um, and so... It's not, you know, one or two people in a rural community here, but it becomes really a cohesive network across the country who are all fighting for the same thing. And so when you have to, you know, fight in Washington for something, you have a bunch of voices from all over the country coming together to say something. And so that's, you know, how we were formed Mm -hmm. Um, over time. Things have gotten, I think, a little more sophisticated on the policy front um, because the system became a little more formalized as the National Conservation Lands. And so now there's, you know, branding efforts and marketing and, you know, how do we manage all of these things collectively? So it has grown, um, you know, keep growing. And that's just where that is now. Right. Um, and so I think we started with a couple, a handful of groups, and now we're at 70 groups across the country. Oh, wow. Um, and then we have 22 staff across the country as well um, doing more of the policy-focused work. Okay. 
Yeah. And you guys partner with a lot of local nonprofits and community centers and can you talk a little bit about like the advocacy efforts that you guys do and like how you engage the public how they they get involved with you yeah so because we are a foundation we do grant money Mm -hmm. um so that's usually how we've partnered with local groups like uh, get outdoors nevada or friends of nevada wilderness um friends of gold butte during the gold butte national monument campaign right um i think part of it is providing resources to groups as well you know not Mm -hmm. just the financial like here's the money to pay for buses or for field trips right which is uh, very in and out type of money (laughs) you get the money you pay for the bus and the money is gone right but also you know we realize with a lot of smaller groups and communities that staff don't necessarily get professional development right or if you want to learn about Mm. a specific policy skill and your organization doesn't really work on that, it's hard for you to get that extra piece in your portfolio. So providing sort of the financial support, but also the backing of if you have questions about your, you know, 990s or W9s or taxes or, Hmm. you know, how to write comments for a resource management plan. Like there are technical people that we are connected to that we make sure then local organizations are also connected to to provide additional resources that aren't just financial. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yes. You're definitely doing a lot. <laughs> wow. Excellent. Yeah. So you were going to tell us about um, yourself and how you got involved with nature and outdoor um, advocacy yeah. efforts, right? Right. Because yeah. mm-hmm. you grew up here in Las Vegas, right? Yeah. I grew up in Las Vegas, which is, I think, weird for a lot of people <laughs> to say. Um, I, didn't, I wasn't born here. Uh, my parents did an interesting journey where we started in California, which is where I was born, they decided that maybe the United States was a little too much for them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so they went to live in Mexico for two years. And so I lived in Mexico for two years. And then someone was like, hey, Las Vegas is booming. We should go here. So um, I got here right when I was about to start kindergarten. And so then mm. went full K through 12 on the east side of the valley. And, you know, kind of I think my connection to the outdoor was more because at the time in the 90s in Las Vegas was not like a kid-friendly city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was a strip and there was adult entertainment and then there was the outdoors and that was like your two options. There oh, okay. was like sort of museums but not like a thing you could do every weekend, you know, so you had to find other entertainment. Um, and my dad, having grown up in Southern California, you know, he spent all his weekends at the beach and so he mm-hmm. was like, we have to do something outside. I can't be inside of the house. So we would go all over the place um, around the valley. Um, And I think that the interesting thing for me as a kid and then now as an adult, like I can name each of the agencies and manage each of the places, right? Mm. And like where, whether they're state, local or federal, as a kid, it didn't really matter. It was like that one fun (coughs) place, you know, somewhere that you went to and um, you just went and it was fun and you had no idea who managed it. And so... I think having that experience helps me then connect with that people might use the place and not necessarily know it's tied to this huge system. Mm-hmm. And right. so how do you make that connection so people understand the management and how the management then, you know, affects how you use the land on mm-hmm. your weekend? Well, and that's a great point. So the kind of the theme of our podcast this year has been a lot of like breaking down barriers and kind of like helping people navigate things maybe they're not used to. And that's a good point because there's, I mean, we know, that there's so many things out, like so many places you can go outdoors. But even for a lot of us who probably do that, we don't know the difference between like Red Rock National Conservation Area and like Valley of Fire, which could seem like they're both like under the same umbrella, but they're not. 
right? So we've got one's federal land and one is a state park. So like even that, I think there's a lot of different sure. things there. And if we we don't know what where the money is going or where it comes well, from. Well, I'd be interested to hear like as a um, park goer, why is it relevant to know who is operating the park system? And like, what's the difference between an agency that's in charge of like conservation efforts versus another agency that's about, you know, bringing in tourism and how does your agency balance that? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest piece for me on knowing the difference is, um, the folks, right, whether it's state, local, tourism agency, conservation agency, they're responsible for taking care of these places and making sure mm -hmm. that they're, you know, that they're usable, that they're accessible, right, that they're clean, <laughs> that right. we're not damaging, you know, important cultural or archaeological, right, whatever the park has been set aside for. And if you don't know who's managing it, then you can't hold those people accountable, right? So right. then it's like you show up to something that's trash and you're like, oh, that sucks. But what do you do about it if you don't mm -hmm. know, like, who who do you mm -hmm. complain to? Who do you right. call? You know, is your senator responsible for that being trashed? Is the governor responsible for that being trashed? I think that sort of vagueness of who who is supposed to be managing then disconnects people from the advocacy side of things because you have no right. idea who you should be held holding accountable right mm -hmm. so then right. it's just like you're angry at the world but like how productive is that to get change sure. um mm -hmm. so i think you know connecting those pieces i think part of it is it's probably been made complicated so a lot of people don't engage in the right. process mm -hmm. right because then you have huge oil executives who you know, have people who are paid to just look at that every day and who mm -hmm. can more easily navigate the system than, you know, the community who doesn't maybe want the oil and gas in their backyard. So I, I think some of that is by design and, mm -hmm. and something that um, we have to collectively fight to change, mm -hmm. but we can't change that if we don't educate people on the who even manages this land to begin with. Right. And to be clear, like there's no issue that is nothing is everything is important. Like I read an article you wrote and you're talking about the size of picnic tables and trash cans, et cetera. Like if there aren't enough trash cans, you can report that you can, you know, you can make your voice heard and advocate for whatever the heck it is that you need to be able to properly access these public spaces. Correct. Yeah. I mean, if a place has been set up for recreation purposes, right, there mm -hmm. is like national recreation area designations. Mm -hmm. um, here in the Valley, we have Lake Mead, right? If the point is for people to go out and recreate, and we're, you know, sticking to a family of three for all the picnic tables. But we know there's families of 12, there's families of six, right. there's people who want to bring their friends or their cousins <laughs> or whoever, right? They want to have a larger party, but we're only, you know, providing sort of amenities for people in very small groups. That's not necessarily serving everyone. And so, mm. but, I, but then they, you know, the, the agencies go through a process where they ask these questions, like, what do you need? Um, and then they're like, no one's, you know, no one's participating in this process. Um, but people are still using the places. Mm -hmm. um, it's the, you know, the way that we're trying to collect the feedback is where the problem lies, not necessarily on the use or the need. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so, so how did you get into advocacy? So I know that you didn't, or did you start in public lands advocacy? So, <laughs> so where did you, where did you get your start? particularly as growing up here in Las Vegas, what, what drove you to get involved? Yeah, I don't. I feel like it 
we say it's accidental, but nothing's accidental, right? Um, right. <laughs> I, you know, I left um, like all rebellious kids in high school. I was like, I can't <laughs> do the city anymore. I need to go somewhere else. And I tried to leave really far away. Um, but I have a Mexican mother who was like, you are not leaving me. You have to be within like driving distance. And I was like, oh, well, California is like far enough away. <laughs> Where, like I don't have to come every weekend, but you're still close enough if you like really need me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went to California <laughs> and I didn't necessarily, I think, ever plan on coming back. Um, okay. But I got a surprise baby <laughs> and mm. we had to reevaluate. Um, I graduated college, you know, when the recession was just wrapping up. And so it wasn't still that easy to live in a California mm-hmm. coastal city um, with a newborn baby. And so my husband and I had to make a decision on where and Las Vegas was recovering, um, mm-hmm. but was affordable, <laughs> right? right? And so we chose here. Um, and my first job out of college was actually in healthcare marketing, so like nothing to do <laughs> necessarily <laughs> with what I do today. Um, and, and, you know, I did that work, and I absolutely hated it. Like, I just hated it. It was all about billable hours and, you know, can you sell this message point or that message point so people buy our insurance? And it's not whether, like, that insurance is, like, the best insurance for them, right? It's about, like, we need them to just buy it. Mm-hmm. I was like, right. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't really want to do this. Um, you know, with health insurance, I think at the t- it, this was uh, when Obamacare was all happening, too. So there's all these opinions and mm-hmm. It just felt wrong. And so um, I took time off to sort of reevaluate my life at that point. I had a six-month-old. It was like she was learning how to walk and she was starting to eat, right? So it was like a time in my life where I felt like, well, I don't really need to be doing this. I could be spending time with her and it'd be a much better place for me. Right. Um, and so I was just hanging out at my house. I think I was reading like, I don't remember what book I was reading, but I was reading some book with my child and I got a Facebook message from an assemblywoman that was like, hey, we grew up in the same area. We went to the same university. We should talk. And I was like, oh, this stalker on Facebook is so weird. <laughs> right? Because this is a time where like there's still a lot of like shady-ish things happen. I mean, not that they don't happen now, but it was right. still like a little harder to verify if people were real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, this, I don't know about this one. So I was like, okay, we're going to meet like in the most public place at like noon when everyone is nice. around. <laughs> and we did and we met and she was a real person, um, Assemblywoman Lucy Flores. And oh, okay. we got to talk about the neighborhood and, you know, growing up and, and leaving the neighborhood and going to um, a private university, which was a huge change. And, you know, coming back to the city that raised us. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And we got to talking a lot about, like, what was (laughs) needed in the community. And, you know, she's like, I'm looking for someone to work with me. That's why I called you. And I was like, oh, this was a job interview. Like, that, okay. Wow. Mm, This is a whole other, like, step. (laughs) Um, Really well. And I went to work with her. um, And because she was an elected representative, but the legislature, you know, was part-time here in Nevada, so... They pay you through their campaign funds because they're oh, during okay. off session right. time. Mm-hmm. You're a campaign employee, not a government employee, even though you're doing all the constituency work. It's very interesting. Hmm. Our government setup. That's a tangent yeah. for another day. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> through that work, I got to work on a variety of issues. Right, um, all kinds of constituency concerns and questions, and really learning about how 
you know, lawmakers operate and how things mm-hmm. get done. And um, she was going to go to Carson City. And I was like, yeah, I don't know about these rural towns. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I just got back here. <laughs> I'm yeah. sitting here. Um, and so I, you know, I went into different type of advocacy work and eventually I got pulled into the Basin and Range National Monument campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, I don't, I have no idea what the Antiquities Act is or like what you're hoping for me to do. (laughs) I, I like, I've been on public lands, but I don't like know about public lands. (laughs) Like this is a different step. And, um, they're like, we just need your comms expertise and you like organize and talk to people. And I was like, great, I can do that. That's easy. Um, and you know, we got that campaign off the ground and we got a bill signed. And once that was complete, I got a call from the folks I was working on doing comms work for them to say, Hey, we're opening up this position in Nevada. If you want to do more public land specific work. And, um, I, I kind of went back and forth on whether I wanted to do it. Um, I think one interesting part, I mean, uh, elephant in the room, but like, people of color in the in environmental space is not well known. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of advice that I was getting for folks is like, you're going to get pigeonholed into environmental work. And then if you ever want to work on anything again, you're not going to be able to do it. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know about that. Right. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I could do this. And if I don't like it, I could leave. <laughs> like this is just how life works. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'll just take it. And I d- first day was secretary Jewel's coming next week. <laughs> because she's touring this new national monument you help get designated and we need to do a tour (laughs) and you need to host a party for her oh wow and i was like oh well who else is coming right and it's like the director of the bureau of land management (laughs) they write the secretary of interior you have senator reed coming and i'm like oh wow this is like a big 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 party (laughs) on my first day okay (laughs) i have a week to plan great (laughs) right um and after that it sort of just took off um it was end of obama administration so there was a whole lot of monuments going around everywhere um and and then we rolled right into the trump administration where we had to defend literally everything we had worked on leading up to that um and i'm kind of getting a break now but it was an interesting place for me i think um the places i had visited actually putting a name to them an agency to them and that they some of them weren't protected right and that they were Mm -hmm. at risk of being undone um i think one other really interesting one it was Nevada-focused, but I got to work on, on a national monument in South Carolina, um, the Reconstruction-era national monument. Oh, and it was interesting to learn there that there was nothing in the park um, service in their portfolio that covered the Reconstruction-era history. There was no other designation. Right? We have a whole ton of Civil War and all kinds of uh, other monuments, but not for that era. Um, so we got to go and tour um, this Penn School, which was the first school um, for freed slaves in the South um, wow. and see kind of that history there. They had this little house where Martin Luther King would like go and just like shut himself off from everyone. And it mm. just had a whole lot of really cool history. Um, and for me, I think it kind of connected some things there. Like there's this work that I um, cared about, I think, in helping people and telling stories through the comms work mm-hmm. um, and how that played <laughs> out in public lands designations mm-hmm. and how that story is not necessarily older connected but that it's not because we haven't designated things right um and during the obama administration there was a lot happening there was that monument there was stonewall 
Um, there was mm-hmm. Cesar Chavez, right? All of these stories were coming online because of these public lands designations, which right. is not necessarily something that you would connect, right, to empowering communities or maybe uplifting voices that were untold through public land designations, right? right. It's not usually how that happens, but um, I saw it as a tool to maybe be able to do that in the future. And what other stories weren't we telling and what places were designated that maybe had more complicated history that we just weren't covering. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I Can you explain a little about, um, I know you talked a little bit about um, basin, basin and range, right? Um, yes. Can you talk about, like, what goes into designating these uh, spaces, national monuments, and, like, why this is important? Yeah, so, I mean, I think every process is a little different. Um, With Basin and Range National Monument, so just to put it in context, um, it's three hours away from Las Vegas. If you're heading kind of northeast-ish, it's it's near kind of the Area 51, you know, Mm. scene, and also near Yucca Mountain. Oh, okay. So we're looking at that whole area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there was a rail train that was going to be running through that valley oh. um, for the Yucca project. Oh, okay. There's also this exact same valley um, where this rail line is going to be is this gigantic art piece by Michael Heiser um, right. that is the size of the National Mall in D.C., and right, he chose it because he was like, it's secluded and no one will ever come here. And then, you know, Las Vegas blew up. <laughs> 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 so um, there's kind of all of that. There, there's a whole lot of like history, right? Um, Native American history in the area, Basque history in the area. Um, and sort of all of those things layered in, people felt like, okay, we have a rail line threat now, right? Oil and gas threats are starting mm-hmm. to pop up, even though there's not really a whole lot of oil and gas potential in the valley and like if we don't do anything this is gonna get ruined Mm -hmm. um so in that case um michael heiser was like you're gonna ruin my art project that i've been working on for 30 years (laughs) i have to like ask someone to do something about it and so he brought it to the attention of senator reed and you know we had been um you know conservationists have been working in that area to just protect it from oil and gas drilling Mm -hmm. um and so the campaign sort of started in just putting a stop to oil and gas, like having a mineral, what we call mineral withdrawal. You withdraw it from being able to be used for this purpose. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that at least protects, you know, holes from being made or fences right. from going up. Um, and with that, you can sometimes block um, what they call rights of ways, which would be a trail, you know, a train right. or a highway or some other thing. Um, but, getting things to Congress at the time was very difficult. Um, not that it isn't now, mm-hmm. but it was definitely hard. And so you have to start looking at what else you have in your toolbox. Um, and the Antiquities Act is, is one, right, where the president has the authority to set land aside, mm-hmm. you know, who, who meets all of this criteria. Um, and then you have to make the case that it meets all of that criteria, right? Um, and I mean, most places do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you, you start looking into it and you start finding more history, right? Because once right. you find one thing, if you dig around a little bit, you can usually find a little bit more. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of previous designations, I think something interesting for this monument, we really like our mountains and mountain tops, and we really protect that because mm-hmm. you can always see mountains in the background and those, you know, the view kind of 
for your home, but the valleys never get protected. Those are the things that always get built on. Um, except, you know, when we start talking about animal connectivity, like how, if you're a deer, how do you get like from one mountaintop to another mm-hmm. without oh, crossing the valley, right? You got to walk. Right. <laughs> They're not birds. They um, have to trek across, but we weren't protecting connected sort of landscapes. And so... <coughs> Um, that was a big, you know, piece of this is that it would, mm-hmm. it would protect seven mountains and two valleys, which provided enough connectivity for the various species there. Um, and so we brought kind of all of this information forward and the president agreed. Excellent. <laughs> and we got a monument. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's typically the process. And then okay. I think you, you make the scientific case for it and then you also have to show that the public cares and wants it. Uh-huh. Um, and that can be done through public meetings or petitions, right? The folks sign or phone calls to people or, uh-huh. you know, hey, Mr. President at the coffee shop, if you ever run into him or, you know, mm-hmm. senator or whoever and and make that case. Right. right. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So um, I know you talked a little bit about, you know, being a person of color in the conservation arena. So talk a little bit about kind of why that's important um, and particularly out West where, we have like, you know, particularly like in our, in our community we're you know, it's almost 50% non-white, you know, people in our community. So how does that impact kind of the work that you do? Yeah. I mean, I, I think this isn't unique to conservation or environmental space, right? Where right. careers weren't necessarily open up to people of color. So I think that's, there's sort of a, I think a couple of pieces to it that make it interesting. Like one on the career side of things getting more people not only on the advocacy side but on the management side to be representative of their communities mm-hmm. right when we talked about like the picnic table question like you don't they might know more better yeah. <laughs> if mm-hmm. they have diverse thought um, within the agency themselves so i think that that's part of it um, and a seat at the decision making uh, yeah, table right. a seat at the table or you know just being there every day with eyeballs on it um, I think then on the on the land designation part of it, you know, I think a lot of it has been very focused, obviously, on wildlife and the ecological aspects and just sort of in the now we're getting into the, oh, these places were really important or are really important for Native American tribes, right? Mm-hmm. Like a Bears Ears National Monument. Right. And so we're starting to go through a cycle of like, well, these were always important, <laughs> but right. people weren't necessarily <laughs> paying attention or taking that opinion seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are now. So I think on the actual designations themselves, we're getting land set aside, right? That or places set aside that are important for cultural reasons. Right. So that I think that's one piece of it. And then the other is like who I think back to the accountability and like, who's the public, right, showing the public support for it, it has always been a, uh, obviously a smaller subset. So when you do go and visit a resource management planning meeting, right, which are quote-unquote open to the public, mm-hmm. you don't see the Las Vegas community at those meetings. Um, and so I think there's in sort of in those three places where mm-hmm. we could be doing a lot better in bringing people on board. And I think part of that, right, is – back to what we originally talked about the education of like who's even in charge of right. this place mm-hmm. and who should I be paying attention to to know that there is a meeting about this place that I can go to and talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, 
I, I, I'm curious to hear why you think there isn't better representation or why there aren't more people of color um, making these decisions or why, they, why, are, why aren't they engaged? I've, I read something that you wrote about like misconceptions about the Latino community and like maybe the marketing, they're, uh, they're, it's focused about, you know, uh, creating access, et cetera. But like the Latino community is aware of these public spaces, does, they are going outdoors. So like how, how to better engage the community and really get them to feel more accountable? Yeah, I mean, I think for Las Vegas sort of interesting, as far as like people who work in the agencies, we're a little more diverse than most other places where I've met, you know, folks who work at Bureau of Land Management or whatever. Um, so on the staffing side, I think it's some of that is connecting. Um, on the places to designate, I think, you know, because of leadership with Senator Reid and others, those voices have been heard, right? And in places like Gold Butte National Monument, for instance, were protected because it was very important to Moapa Band of Paiutes, right? And mm -hmm. so that I think depend right on the leadership part here, because we had members of Congress and senators who cared, right? Right. Um, it happened, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, yeah, I think on the connecting, it's always this question of like, how do we get more? I get the question, right, because I'm Latina. How many do you get more Latinos outdoors? And I'm like, uh, well, like, how many more do you want? It's <laughs> like usually <laughs> my first question. What's the magic number? Because right. if you go to Lake Mead on any given weekend, it's pretty full. If you go mm -hmm. to the Spring Mountains, it's pretty full. <laughs> like, you can't find parking pretty full, right? Right. Whether it's winter or summer or whatever. So, like, where where's particularly aren't people going? And, like, what do you want them to do that they're not doing now? Because... Like, now that it's hunting season, like, all of my friends are all over with their mule deer tags, right? Mm -hmm. Scoping around <laughs> the Ruby Mountains or whatever. So, like, what I think that's the, there's a misconnection of, like, maybe they're not talking to the community to know that people are already doing it. Mm -hmm. right. um, so that's, like, sometimes a question that I have for, you know, decision makers, right? Whether that's agency or, you know, members of Congress or whoever. I think the second part of it, back to like going to a meeting for a resource management plan and people aren't there. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Like then how are we promoting these things, right? Yeah, because you talked about there are surveys sent out or whatever, and so how are they not reaching people that they're not participating? I mean, some of it is very basic. Like we're not actually doing marketing, right? It's, uh -huh. it's on the Bureau of Land Management's website under like the Nevada tab, under the like Southern Nevada District Office tab that like no one's ever going to find, right? Right. <laughs> and... I mean, we're all people with busy schedules. Mm -hmm. If you don't know where to look, you're not going to find it. And if it's not provided in a place where you're going to see it, you're not going to find it. So, right. Um, right. And this gets back into like everyone has their own little like social media circles, right? If you don't have an influencer from that circle, they're never going to see it. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're just, you know, well, I share down my Facebook with my friends, but that reaches what, like a circle. And yeah. then someone else has to keep spreading it around. Um and I think the other part, too, is just making the connection that if you do speak up, that people are going to listen to what you have to say, because I'm right. not going to waste my Thursday, right, spending two hours at a resource management planning meeting, staring at maps, right, trying mm -hmm. to give some somewhat detailed information about a specific place that I go to if they're just going to ignore my comments mm -hmm. and do whatever the person in the White House wants, right? So right. Um, I think there there's some of that just connecting to people that their actions can 
turn into change, mm-hmm. um, which is a little harder to do, I think, under this administration than mm-hmm. it has been before. But um, I think there's sort of those two pieces, right? Getting decision makers or folks who are collecting the comments to come to the community or connect with people who know the community to get them there. And then two, you know, doing the education of like how you should submit these comments. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be scary. I mean, I remember my first like planning meeting, you know, it was like, do I have to provide like the 50 page of comments that the scientist provided? Because I am not a scientist and I have no idea. Right. Like I can't break it down like this. Um, But then in in talking to the, you know, decision makers, they were like, no, just like if there's a general area where you like to camp or is there a particular trail that you really use, like that would be helpful because then, you know, if we know that 100 people use this trail, we're not going to like shut it down or reroute Mm -hmm. it because it's obviously popular. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if only you use this campground and everyone else is camping three miles down, then maybe we should do the campground three miles down. Right. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. super useful information for Mm -hmm. them to manage. And it, you don't need to be an expert, right? You just need to be a user mm-hmm. to provide that sort of detail. Um, but some of these processes seem like, oh, I really got to be an expert to weigh in on this. And so getting rid of some of those misconceptions, too, I think, on on the user side of things mm-hmm. um, can help start clearing the way for that. So how would you then recommend, so someone's listening and they're like, I want to make sure my voice is heard. How would you, what would you suggest to them that, they're, that their voice is heard on these issues? I think part part of the problem is, I said, all of these agencies, it's Mm -hmm. hard to like direct a person to a certain place. Mm -hmm. I think following groups like Get Outdoors Nevada, Friends of Nevada Wilderness, Mm -hmm. right? Whoever maybe you would volunteer (laughs) with at a place Mm -hmm. could then share that information with you to be tuned into it. I mean, I think the other thing is no matter what, your elected officials are probably paying attention to whatever right. issues. So if you can reach out to them, whoever you're, you know, the representative you're more comfortable with, and they can usually help guide you to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. It's like a easy one-stop shop. And then they get to hear from you, too, that you care about a place. So right. if they ever have to vote on an issue or push back against something, then they've heard from you that that, you know, place is important to you. Mm-hmm. And once again, just to reiterate, the designation of Basin and Grange and Gold Butte, like that was because the public got involved, right? I mean, that was not just policymakers on their own. Just they were like, oh, I'm going to go about this was because the public spoke up. Yeah. I mean, I think we are extremely lucky when we have elected officials who are like, I want to do this and this is important. But it's usually not the case. Right? They have 500 right. other things to be worrying about. Um and so the only way that you make sure that that gets at the top of the agenda, I'm not saying that they don't care about it, but that it sticks at the top of their plate mm-hmm. is making sure that they're getting constituents saying this is important. Correct. Um, mm-hmm. This is important to me for this reason, or here's the threat coming you know, this way that we really need to focus on fixing. Um, none of that happens if there's not someone who cares about it. Sure. Um, right. And, and that that person is local, right, and someone that they want to hear from. Um, but mm-hmm. although Las Vegas is unique, right? We for the Basin and Range campaign, we had you know people from Germany <laughs> sending in letters saying, wow. huh. you know, I really care about Michael Heiser's art, <laughs> and mm. I want you know the art is tied to the landscape, and we want the landscape protected. So sometimes you get into some f- funky places. Yeah, um, uh-huh. interesting. Especially in Las Vegas, right, where people visit from all over the world, and so they right. have a connection to Red Rock or to some other place that they visit mm-hmm. every time that they come out. 
Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that they attack it through the tourism point of view then versus like conservation or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think, right, places are important to people for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it mm-hmm. could be that it is a spiritual connection for you, right? Or there's a cultural connection for you in those areas. Um, so, I mean, to the basin and range point, right, the art community really cared about Michael Heiser's piece and how right. Michael Heiser's piece interacts with these mountain ranges in this valley um, because it's it's landscape art. It mm-hmm. is one mm-hmm. and the same, right? Um, I think for ranchers in in the area, right, grazing has been a historic use there, right. and it's a Basque tradition of, you know, sheep herding. So it's it's very different type of cultural importance for mm-hmm. them. Um, and then, you know, there were... Duckwater Shoshone tribe, for instance, had connections there through ancestors and sort of some trading routes and things like that. So for, you know, for each group, there was a different reason why they cared about the place, but it all was the same place, um, which I think leads to like you can use things right as long as you're mm-hmm. using responsibly, but everyone can <laughs> use things in their own um, way, whatever they feel more comfortable with. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very interesting. It is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is there anything you're working on now that you want to let the population, our folks, our listeners, our hundreds of thousands of listeners Mm -hmm. know know about what's going on? Yeah, there's a public lands bill process in the works right now for all of Clark County. So everyone probably listening Uh as well, (laughs) impact all of us. Um, You know, maybe folks heard some rumblings um, about a year ago that the county was undertaking, you know, pr- proposing that, you know, the senators and um, Congress people take on a public lands bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and the unique thing about this valley is Nevada is, is mostly, the land is mostly managed by Bureau of Land Management. So if mm-hmm. you want to, you know, expand development or you want to designate something, you have to go through an act of Congress to get that done. Okay. <laughs> um, unless the land has already been assigned for, you know, construction or some other thing, what we call disposal. Um, and so we're sort of running out of land. I think that has been assigned. And so the County, you know, has requested that we expand some of the develop, what we call the development boundary around the Valley to grow that, to allow for, you know, future construction. Mm. We're th- because these processes take so long, it's like, you know, like 10 or 20 years down the line, but we got to do it now because we got to right. get it through Congress. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, through these bills, you can also um, tackle things like affordable housing. Um, you can, you know, designate places as national monuments or okay. as wilderness yeah. or as parks. Um, you can also, this is all into the jargon world, but you can convey land for public parks. Uh-huh. Um, so, one very interesting thing also in Las Vegas is the majority of your schools, firehouses, community centers actually sit on federally managed land. This is right. Um, oh. It's not managed okay. by the county. The county, you know, enters into a lease agreement with the federal government to be able to build all of these schools and parks and facilities. Um, but... They're not, the county doesn't have like whole jurisdiction over them. So sometimes you will transfer that land over, like convey it over for these public purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a whole request of a ton. I don't, I, there was like 10 pages of this stuff. So I can't give you like an exact number, (laughs) but like basically every public school (laughs) that is in this valley sits on federally managed land. Okay. Um, And so 
that's not necessarily something that the agencies sometimes want to manage because right. they don't have expertise in managing schools, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so transferring that is sometimes easier, but you can't do that without an act of Congress. Hmm. And so we get, some of that, I think, will impact all of us. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, you know, the other piece that we haven't talked a lot about yet, but we all have seen um, that we're kind of moving into mitigating for climate change impacts. Mm-hmm. Um, in this valley, right, getting hotter. Um, and if we are going to take on more development, right, if, it's, if we do, how will we actually manage and mitigate for all of that? Um, right. And, you know, we have an endangered tortoise. Mm-hmm. If we're taking more land from the tortoise, what are we making sure that we set aside for them so that we can improve that habitat so they can, you know, continue thriving or hopefully thriving? Um, so, I think there's an opportunity now through this bill process, through all these you know little components. There's so much to it, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but these bills, you know, determine the future for this community mm-hmm. for the next couple decades. And so I think it's very important that people voice right their support mm-hmm. for certain things, or opposition for certain things, or concerns, or just like, hey, have we thought about this? Whatever that is to you know, their representatives now, this being federal because it, it will be federal legislation about what they care about or what they want to see designated, you know, protected, what this place would be really cool for a park, whatever that needs to be. Sure. Um, because it, it will, I mean, it will determine sort of the future of this community and, and how we grow or don't grow or, um, you know, what places will continue to be wild and free and what won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this well, podcast, first of <laughs> all, always. will always be wild and free. Always. Um, <laughs> so the county is going to be holding meetings to get um, feedback from the public, or how, how do people get involved? Yeah, the county held a, a meetings a year ago, um, and this is to the process of, like, how many people know about it, mm-hmm. right? Uh-huh. Um, but at some point, all of this information will be taken in, and you know, a member of Congress will draft a bill. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you will have opportunities to send comments okay. about this bill. Um, I think that's that's probably the best way now is, is sort of what is this language. <laughs> right. Um, and once you see the language, you know, put out, call your member of Congress or send them mm-hmm. a letter or send them the picture of, like, this place that you hang out in that you think, you know, maybe you shouldn't develop on or maybe you should protect it, right? Whatever the sort of opinion is, I think um, that would be the best time to send that. Do to we them. know at this time who's writing it? No. no. <laughs> All right. Okay. I, I mean, one of them, right? We have right. Senator Rosen, Senator Cortez Masto, mm-hmm. and then we have, I mean, for Southern Nevada, we have um, Representatives Lee, Titus, and Horsford. So we are only not counting Amade in our right. We've <laughs> got a pretty delegation friendly delegation. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, and these are obviously thoughts and opinions that you can send to them anytime. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might be easier for folks to kind of know the scope of the thing once it's an actual right. bill, uh-huh. and then also like, can you read it and interpret the bill? Sometimes I'm like, oh, this is like very lawyer esque for me. I don't uh-huh. know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I mean, but but sometimes it's it goes back to like, what are the community organizations that you trust, right? And mm-hmm. and how are they interpreting certain language? And maybe you can talk to them about a particular section, right, okay. to get that mm-hmm. feedback. So then you can kind of narrow it down. Um, also, I think that's we a all good know, recommendation, yeah. even for myself. Yeah. Yeah. When all these bills <laughs> hit, there's always millions of petitions that somebody's going to ask you to sign. Right, right. So you'll get all kinds of opinions and information there to kind of right. take in. 
and evaluate before you send your comment out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I mean, I think generally, even if you don't know whether something's a part of a bill or not, if there's a place that's important to you, sending uh-huh. a note <laughs> yeah. to your member of Congress that's like, hey, I really do love Red Rock. <laughs> Right. FYI, mm-hmm. right? So if they have to vote on funding for these areas, sure. if they have to, you know, think mm-hmm. about changes to the area that they know very well where you stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Well, should we move on to our non conservation related well, I'd, questions? I'd like to. Or do you have more? I, well, just in terms of public lands in general. Um, I just wanted you, to. You looked at me and you were lost, and I was like, I no, don't know. No, what you no, want no, no. Well, Allison. no, I wanted to um, hear like where you go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What public spaces or public uh, parks you visit with your family? We kind of hit a lot of them. <laughs> we like to spend time outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just on a very local level, we live really close to Craig Ranch um, mm. Park. So we it's spend a, a whole lot of time there for sure. Um, and just so folks know, that's also one of those where that some of that land is federally <laughs> managed. And Aww. then there's also um, land and water conservation funds that go into constructing mm. that. So whole other layers of public policy there i can't stop seeing it now <laughs> once you see it you can't unsee it it's yeah. sort of that where you're like oh right. all of these things funded this place uh-huh. how do we get more money um <laughs> so we spend a lot of time there um and then you know my family does an annual hunting trip to the ruby mountains oh, cool. um oh, cool. in mm. northern nevada and so um we do we've done that um for a couple of years now and that's always a fun trip i didn't what do actually you hunt a mule deer but i didn't actually mule deer yeah. Those are two different things, no? No, it's a type of deer. It's oh, a type cool. of deer. <laughs> this is yeah. true, it is true. There's mulas and there's deer. <laughs> but apparently it's one same it's thing. One. Okay. Yes. All right, cool, cool, It's cool. not a mule. It's a All right. mule deer. deer. Gotcha. Mule deer. Yes. <laughs> How the hell would I know that? <laughs> you just discovered nature. Hunting's a whole nother thing for you. Yeah. Is <laughs> this mule deer? <laughs> yes, there's different. There's like the white tail. There's all kinds of things. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So, um... Yeah, you apply for a hunting tag because we don't obviously don't have a limited right <laughs> supply of species. Mm-hmm. Um, so you apply for this, you get a lottery, you get a ticket. There's so many of us that somebody gets <laughs> a tag at oh, some nice. point. Uh-huh. Um, I, I haven't mentioned, but my dad is one of twelve siblings, um, and so there's a whole lot of family on that side. So somebody's bound <laughs> to get <laughs> a tag, and then right. we all just like tag along for the trip. Mm. Um, <laughs> Nice. And so we've we've done these every year, and I, I just think that one's special because it's sort of a family reunion and also mm-hmm. time in the outdoors. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a slightly sort of different feel than when I go out to, you know, scout places that people tell me might deserve some designation. Sure. Um, or, you know, I'm doing field trips for Secretary Jewel. It's a whole mm-hmm. other, like, set of um, emotions and planning that right. goes into those. Yeah. Well, you're able to relax, right? And in, actually enjoy nature. Yes. Well, I'm yeah. not to say that you don't enjoy it ways. for work. Yeah. Right. But yes. You're with family. You get to like just, I feel like decompress, right? I also tried to not be in charge of the family trips. Smart. It's like, mm. I'm just tagging along. <laughs> I will bring like snacks, but I'm not in charge of all the meals, you know? And then Smart. the work trips, it's like, I'm in charge of the trip. Um, sure. So try for to balance sure. it out that way. And 
make That's sure smart. I mm-hmm. see how other people plan and learn from them. What mm-hmm. snacks would you bring? Because I'll, we'll tell a story about Allison's first camping trip and the snacks yes. she brought. I'm curious to know what, what you would bring to a camping trip. It's a super unhealthy, but I really love hot fries. <laughs> hot fries? What are hot fries? Very similar to what you brought to the camping trip. So this... this I don't know what this is. What is this? Yeah, which are... Oh, yeah. I guess they're sort of like thackies. I mean, they're They're like like hot Cheetos, but they're... They look like French fries, right, in a bag. They look like French fries in a bag. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very spicy. I like spicy food, so those come with me on a trip Um, for sure. Um, It's also like I don't like to overly cook on camping trips. Mm -hmm. I feel like simple foods are better. Mm -hmm. So like turkey dogs and it's just the dog mm. <laughs> that yeah. you um fry on the campfire so i don't have to turn anything on extra i don't have to like put anything on it to prepare it it's just done <laughs> you mean you're not into champagne cocktails with hibiscus flowers and mm. by yeah because i think there's been we were gonna make by yeah weren't one time yeah I, jose's yeah. just shaking <laughs> yeah. his simple foods camping <laughs> why like, would what, i do what's that what's about that i mean we also <laughs> did make sangria on one trip oh, oh nice we, okay. we had it was the last night and there was like so we had brought like different types of berries on the trip mm. you know yeah. for kids to snack and we had like a bottle and a half of wine that we somehow hadn't finished and we were like well we could just like merge all of this together and just like have us a really good last night so um, that sounds like a great idea they're all like simple ingredients that we brought but like got merged into greatness um this is Mm. me though my dad has like venison and crock pot and like full like thing going on you know he calls it fritanga like he has that whole thing going on oh, but I, venison is not fritanga that this is, is like, what he calls okay it. I don't all right, know. All right he all right. also like took some fish that he t- got from like meat on one trip and like took it on the trip and then made ceviche for everybody so he goes a wow. very complicated nice. and i'm like you should invite jose i don't need to do yeah. any of this because it's all taken care of right that's that's nice <laughs> nice yeah yeah. yeah. Well, the first time I went camping, we were talking about that experience. Um, I packed as if I was like this 10 year old. I brought mm-hmm. like 10 different potato chips and all kinds of cookies. Yeah. And we made just like lasagna of like ruffles with takis with Cheetos. With I mean, it was so delicious. It was gross, but also when we were passing around the, 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 the jar of cheese dip, Dipping toppings oh, yes. in it, we were all very Cheese happy. Dip we were and all very ranch happy. Dip. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was delicious. <laughs> it was not healthy, but I it was gained delicious. five pounds in like three days. It was ridiculous. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I really felt like Allison was like shopping, like she was a ten-year-old boy I on wa- his first like literally overnight sleepover. Like this is what I'd want. This is the sleepover buffet. The crazy thing is, is that I am an adult and I do cook. But <laughs> then I was like, I think we should. I think one just eats potato chips when one camps. Yeah, and that's pretty much what we M&Ms, did. M Ms. I mean, that's yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, trail mix, right? It's just that's that's what you're doing. That's the perfect time. M Ms and peanuts and chocolate chips all in there. Exactly. It's great. Exactly. So, uh, speaking of other food, any places that you like to eat and or drink and or coffee, soft drinks, cocktails in Las Vegas? Oh, so many of everywhere places. Um, There is a poke bowl right by where I live. Um, Let's see. Craig and Losi kind of area. And they have, you know, there's all the sushi burrito Rage now, mm-hmm. so uh-huh. they definitely have those. 
they it's also like actually spicy back to the spicy food like they actually oh, have nice. the spicy tuna so that's a stop and it's one of those shopping centers that has like everything it has like a burger place you know subways jamba juice whatever so right. when you stop with a family it's like divide and go out so oh, nice. i like that one because it's easy what's <laughs> it called right. i think it's called poke bowl like that's the actual name <laughs> okay we'll look it yeah. up and we'll i'll throw the link in there I'm, okay i'm pretty sure it's a super simple name it's yeah. one of those where you like start overthinking that maybe it has another name but it doesn't mm. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but that that one we like because it's an easy stop um nice Coffee shops. I feel like I spend a lot of time in coffee shops, <laughs> oh, um, all over the valley. Um, I think you know, in the downtown area, I do love Makers and Finders just because mm-hmm. they have that lavender infused coffee. Mm-hmm. That right. is a specific stop <laughs> to try to. And they close late too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I yeah. try not to schedule late work meetings. It's the way that I, <laughs> right. I try to do the earlier. But if so I gotta pick a place, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If I gotta pick a place, I'm gonna, you know, I'll pick something that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you know earlier before we started, we talked about Benza, which is a restaurant out in Farm Road, which is a lot further <laughs> uh, north mm-hmm. <laughs> for folks. Um, but it's a Oaxacan cantina. cantina. Yes newer restaurant there but they had all the good drinks they had um the good desserts um and you can get kind of any kind of taco that you would like to have but Mm -hmm. then you can also get like your tamales or you could get um i don't know enchiladas kind of whatever there's Mm -hmm. all kinds of things cool (laughs) and we need to check that out oh totally pronto Yeah, yeah Even though that's the furthest north you'll ever have been, I think. But for Oaxacan food, I will travel. Okay. Good to to know. (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, all right. Well, thank you so much, Jocelyn, for being here. We really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Very informative. Yeah. Uh, Where can people follow you or um, get more involved in the community? Yeah, I guess folks can always follow me on Twitter. Spend a lot of time there. (laughs) Um, It's Josie underscore Torres. So J-O-C-Y underscore T-O-R-R-E-S mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, then we have a brand new website for the Conservation Lands Foundation. Oh, cool. So I will send you all there. Yes. <laughs> which is uh, conservationlands.org. And I'm not going to spell that out because it's really long. Mm-hmm. Sorry. But, I can do it. <laughs> um, the new website there. So we have like some blog posts and videos. Then there's this really cool map where you could see all of the um, all of the units within the National Conservation Land, so all the places oh, cool. that have been designated, and then you can also see all of the groups that we work with. So you okay. can get more information on the places and then the people who are connected to those places. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very smart. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. This has been very informative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me, and we we got to take a trip out to one of these places soon. We do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll do a Battleborn field trip. sand dunes place. I want to go to the sand dunes that you talked about last time. Oh, the sand dunes. Uh-huh. We'll have dirt <laughs> covered in dirt all over. Um, I also discovered what I think is probably the biggest Joshua tree I've ever seen in Southern Nevada. So Ooh. we can also Ooh. take oh, cool. a trip to that. Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. That is on our logo. So yeah. yes, a photo yeah. session perhaps. Right. We're still getting that tattoo, right, Allison? Mm-hmm. We're all getting that Joshua tree the tattoo. The mental one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That is very big. <laughs> that is what she said. That is what she said. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. That is. That's, <laughs> that's a very massive impressive. Tr- I that that doesn't even. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, we'll check it out. I've never watched Game of Thrones, but it reminds me of what I've seen of the throne oh, the in Game of Thrones. Thing, yeah. Oh, I believe it's, it's called a throne because it it's okay. the game of thrones. Oh, true, true, true. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, this has been Wild and Free Battleborn Podcast. I'm Jacob. I am Allison. And as always, we're joined by our producer, Jose Sotelo, research assistance by Ashley Pacheco, and our creative director joined us as well, Berta Gutierrez. And we have Raven, the dog in the Den of Descent. Who, Raven and baby Sebastian, yeah. but they didn't join us downstairs today. No, but I heard Raven's collar a little bit. She, she, you know, jingled her collar. Jingling so maybe you'll around. hear that. If you hear the jingle, that's Raven. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. All right. Okay, well, giddy up. Yeehaw.